Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunny Independent. This week we're talking about the raging regulatory dumpster fire that is Facebook and the Data Protection Commission and whether we have any sympathy for Facebook, what happens now, what is its place in the overall media scheme of things, etc. I'm joined by two people who know, Dara O'Brien, who's been on the podcast a few times before, founder of Castlebridge, and Steve Dempsey, the Group Director of Publishing Products at INM. You're both welcome to the podcast and I'm going right into you, Dara, first. What on earth are we going to do to get out of this situation with Facebook and the Data Protection Commissioner and the High Court and the European Commission and the US, where the Data Protection Commissioner has given Facebook a preliminary order to stop with the international data transfers? How do we get out of this? Um, We are now living through the scenario of the Admiral shouting at the light in the distance to change course. But the light in the distance is a lighthouse. Um, we have a, a fundamental... You mean Europe. You mean the EU. And, and, mean, yeah. and, and the fact that we're, we're dealing with ultimately a, what is effectively a constitutional issue from a European perspective in terms of fundamental rights and a mismatch in terms of how the US views these issues. Um, in, we need to unpick the, 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 the issues. There's first of all, what do we do about Facebook currently and their high court action? And then there's the bigger issue of cross-border data transfers full stop. Um, under standard contractual clauses because it's not just transfers to the US that are in question here and it's not just Facebook that's in question. Um, the To take the easiest answer, the easiest part of it first, with regards to the High Court, we wait and we see, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Uh, Facebook has made their filings. Um, they they expressed shock that they were under any investigation at all. Um, which is a bit like Al Capone uh, expressing shock that he might be under scrutiny for tax evasion. Okay, let's be careful with the uh, comparisons between Facebook and Al Capone, but I take your point, right? I take your point. But he, so here's the situation, though. They This high court uh, hearing is going to be fairly quickly decided. Uh, the question is, how is this resolved? Because we've two fundamentally different uh things going on here with the US who are essentially saying that their surveillance is proportional, the EU saying 
that we have a fundamental right to privacy here. The twain are not meeting. Facebook and other companies are caught in the middle. Is there any way for, is there anything that Facebook can do? Yes. To, there's there's yeah. a variety of things Facebook can do. Facebook could localize data in Europe. Facebook could split into two entities, a US entity and a, a non-US entity. Would, would, would either of those things do it? Would, would, that, would that work? Um, possibly. Uh, the, the key challenge is how Facebook would implement its processing and provided services to people outside of the United States, uh, specifically people in the European Union, uh, in a way that allows them to fall outside the scope of the US's um, foreign, foreign uh, the, the, the FISA regulation. The FISA, FISA. yeah. The f- and, and the key issue there, Adrian, is that it's, it's the difference, of treatment, in di- difference in treatment between US citizens whose data is technically protected under the Privacy Act in the US. Um, who knew America has a phys- Privacy Act? Um, and non-US citizens um, under FISA. And, and that and also the executive mm. order around uh, communications interception. So, so just just to uh, take those two potential solutions, one of them might be a scenario where Facebook literally tries to localize data for EU users, you and me, within Europe. Now, or or it splits, you know, Facebook USA, Facebook Europe. Maybe we're into a TikTok scenario there. I don't we know. Are. But I, I mean, absolutely, we're, we're in exactly that situation. Okay, so, which this is something I've been saying for is a bit depressing, but okay. Um, this is where I've been saying for a number of years that organizations like Facebook, and it's not just Facebook, there are lots of others that, that are in a similar boat, need to think the unthinkable in terms of corporate structure as a way of engineering their way out of what is a cultural and regulatory problem. And the fact that the US has order has issued an order requiring TikTok to do this thing suddenly makes it easier to think that unthinkable thing because you're simply doing the thing that the president has said should be done when you have a conflict mm. of regulatory and uh, oversight and surveillance issues. So, so, so make your bed in your life. Oh, okay, Steve, let me bring you in here. Don't want to be too flippant about this, but who are you up for? Oceania, Eurasia or East Asia? I, I, do you know what? I, I, I'll give you the, probably the pat answer is I, I'm probably up for the the actual the the jurisdictions and the citizens of those jurisdictions themselves, and I think there's a there, are there you is running a for political office here. or something? Not yet. Very give, very give, give, give me a few answer. months. Yeah. No, do you know what? I'm actually I, I I my take on this is I was struck by this myself a few years ago when I interviewed an MEP um, who was from uh, Lithuania or Latvia, one of the Eastern Bloc, former Eastern Bloc countries. And she was involved in some of the legislation around data privacy. And she was very eager to point out that Facebook and myself, I was popping her the questions talking about consumers. And she kept correcting me. And she said, these are not consumers. These are citizens. Hmm. These are citizens and they have rights. And we're trying to protect them here at all times. And I think that's the crux of what's going on here in terms of Facebook and other companies. They see consumers and the jurisdictions see citizens. And, and as a result, we have this mismatch. So are we walking, if we follow that analysis, are we walking ourselves into a scenario? Or and I don't want, that sounds pejorative. I don't walking ourselves, but are we arriving at a scenario where we are establishing among ourselves that we can't have, we can't share a huge tranche of digital services between us and the US? I mean, maybe the US would say the same between the US and China. China certainly has said that because you can't use Facebook or Google uh, over there. Are we in Europe arriving at this position now where we've decided if the Americans 
don't change the, the way that they regard surveillance, then we can't really do as much business with them as, as we used to. It's probably there's probably more than just surveillance. I'd say there is a, so many legislative overlaps or, or where they don't misalignments that it's I'd say surveillance is definitely one of the flashpoints and it's the reason why we're talking now. But I'd say there's many, many more in terms of how companies are constituted uh, and the level of oversight that's required for them. I mean, my take on this is that it is increasingly going to be the case that Facebook and other big tech companies are banging up against legislative responses. What's really interesting to me is that when they don't like what they're hearing, and this is also happening with like Google, let's say, in um, Australia at the moment, mm. um, they're saying, right, we don't like the rules of the game. We're taking our ball and we're going home. So the first response from Google is uh, they were said to Australian consumers, we're going to potentially pull search on YouTube from the, from the Australian market. Facebook, one of the initial responses although it's been damped down a little bit as well, we'll stop, we'll stop having Facebook in Europe then, see how you like that almost, mm. which I think is a, is a, it's a knee-jerk reaction from the, from the tech companies. For, me, for my mind, it's also quite, uh, it undermines their rather utopian global mission of, you know, Google wants to organize the world's information except in Australia. Facebook wants to, whatever, give power to build communities. I can't remember mm. the specific line. As long as the le legislative environment ensures they can make enough money to do so. And just on, on the, the, the high court, the Facebook response with threat of pulling out of Europe. I mean, I was part of writing that story. Uh, Shane Phelan took the lead on it, really. I, I chipped in on it as well. But my reading of that was that while they did in court say that as it stands, the way things are panning out, they don't see how they can offer their services, Facebook and Instagram, in the EU as is. I, I didn't interpret that as them saying that they were threatening to pull out. I, I thought maybe there was a bit of pejorative that we were taking out of that to try and ramp it up a little bit. Maybe. And, and Dara has already outlined what the actual responses could be. And there are lots of real world responses in there. What you'll be glad to hear is that you're probably the person that uh, Nick Clegg was referring to when he said some journalists got overexcited <laughs> and over overstated the fact. We're getting down yeah. a coffee monkey right here. Nick Clegg said Adrian's overstated. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, um, I don't. Yeah, I, I just didn't read it quite like they were threatening to pull out. Now, you, you are responsible for what you say yourself in the high court. And when you, you issue a statement like that, and I'd say Facebook were doing that to try and give some sort of idea to uh, the court of the scale of what they were talking about. And there might even have been a little bit of, now, are you sure you want to be the court uh, who who set all this in train without giving us a few months well, uh, to, to work it out? The, the, the high court hasn't set this in train. Let's park that one for a moment. This is... Mm ongoing since about 2009 when the Charter of Fundamental Rights entered EU uh, law through the treaty, through the Lisbon Treaty. Uh, the European Court of Justice has, has ruled on many of these issues. We have had a whole regulatory reform program during that time that was the most heavily lobbied piece of legislation in the history of the European Union. Mm -hmm. And this is where we find ourselves now when, when, when that legislation is being tested. The High Court has been asked to look at a very specific aspect, which is the procedural appropriateness of how the Data Protection Commissioner has moved forward with this investigation. That's the mm -hmm. key element. And the problem here is the DPC has a High Court order from the same court saying they have to move with due diligence. Mm -hmm. And there is a requirement mm -hmm. for the European Court of Justice for them to move with due diligence, which is legal speak for pick up the pace, but don't screw it up. 
Yeah, and and you've got Max Schrems snapping at the heels here because a lot of it was this was his case in in the first place. You've got um, regulators in Europe, particularly Germany, who are constantly uh, at the Irish authorities, alleging that we you know move too slowly. Uh, you've got all of that in the background, which is informing this. I mean, the DPC doesn't really have a choice. She, her office had to move on this, especially after uh, the ECG uh, ECJ case. Right. And the ECJ case was part of the steps in moving this investigation and moving mm. this case forward. Um, I wrote about this back in 2019 uh, when, when the questions went forward to the European Court of Justice. When everyone was wondering why and what the, what the objective was, the 11 questions that went forward were all about the procedural aspects of the decision making. What could the DPC actually decide on? What could they actually rule on? Mm. And we are in a position now where for a variety of reasons the DPC initiated a known volition investigation at this point, uh, kind of forking uh, away from the original TREMS complaint, which was under the old data protection legislation. And this is the key point. The enforcement powers under the old legislation are weak tea, for want of a better expression, compared to GDPR. Um, and the other aspect is that if the DPC continues continue solely on the Schrems track, the original Schrems case, the consultation mechanisms and consistency mechanisms that exist under Article 60 of the GDPR did not exist under the old directive and under the old Data Protection Act. Therefore, any sharing of data with supervisory authorities outside of Ireland as part of adjudicating the case could in fact have led to the collapse of the investigation because it would immediately be something that Facebook could have appealed and judicially reviewed. Okay, yeah, and you've often made the point that the uh, the DPC is better off being uh, steady and at, even if at, at the cost of being slow, so that investigations uh, don't fall down. You, you've made that point a, f- a few times. Just in terms of how what we might see, if uh, I'll tell you, here's what I think is going to happen. I actually tell you what I think, how I think they're going to try to fudge it, because this has been a series of fudges over the last few years. I think we can all agree about that. But basically, this has been staring us in the in the face in years, and every time, nobody wants to sink this particular ship. Nobody wants to get into this fork in the road. So we, we keep coming up with these agreements or um, arrangements, and there's going to be an ombudsman in the state, and then that's challenged, and that's sunk. Then then it's a standard contractual clause. Here's what. I think is going to happen. I think that Facebook and Google or whoever else are going to come back with what they say is a solution. There'll be something along the lines that you're saying, Dara. They'll say something like, we figured out a way to localize the data in Europe so that uh, within the, the framework of uh, European privacy law and data protection law, so that uh, it, we, it won't be in contravention. You and I and any everybody else go. Hmm. I wonder if that's the case. But it'll take us twelve months to probe that or take a case, and that, and that's another twelve it, months. The delay. Cloud Act is the thing that'll trip that up straight away. The uh, ability of the U.S. U.S. authorities uh, under the Cloud Act uh, to unilaterally request data that's held in non-U.S. data centers from any U.S. headquartered company. But don't you think that um, the and I'm not doubting that for a second. Don't you think that the process of uh, inf- establishing that and and bringing that to bear will take more time and that that will be sort of de facto a fudge. It, it, it will. There is another fudge. We could wind up with a lot of Irish companies with Californian subsidiaries. Okay, explain how that might work. Uh, corporate inversion. You change where the headquarters of the company is. 
A lot of them have mm -hmm. a headquarters here for European purposes. You may find that the easiest way for some of these companies to resolve the issue and to ring fence themselves and engineer themselves out of the problem. And when I say, I say engineer, I mean, instead of fighting the problem, let's actually get to the root cause of the problem. Um, mm -hmm. If they invert their corporate structure, move their primary hosting and storage of data into the European Union, they become European companies with European data with an American, an American subsidiary and some storage of data in the US. And does that mean that um, the previous transfers of data, transfers can be a technical word mm -hmm. or it can be a, a wide ranging word, the previous transfers of personal data that was in between entities and individuals and organizations in Europe and the US, that somehow that gets solved? The flow goes the other, the flow's going the other way then. Um, you, you reverse the flow, you, you refer, reverse the regulatory pressure uh, okay. there. Um, if I was a plumber and I was trying to figure out how to stop pipes exploding in my house, maybe turning off the, the water at the mains and redirecting the flow of water somewhere else will be the way you do it. Okay, so we're sorted. We have it. That's it, right? <laughs> well, that might be it. And if someone wants that to be it, if they give me a call, I'll actually do some <laughs> looking at it to see what might go wrong with it. Um, yeah. But at this point, we're in the world where we're having to think the unthinkable because we do have two intractable extremes. Yeah. Uh, now, there is some hope in the US. We're beginning to see movement on a federal privacy law, which was nice. Uh, we saw That's that first back ages. in 2012. It's going to take mm -hmm. ages. Uh, it's going to take a change of presidency. Mm, yeah. Um, Steve, um, one of the things that has struck me throughout all of this is the three of us are here talking about this and to different degrees. I don't know how either you guys feel about Facebook per se, about its desirability in society or not, or companies like fa Facebook. I'd say we have three slightly different nuanced uh, views ourselves on that. But what has struck me throughout this is um, it is clear that somebody on the security hawk side of things in the US is willing to give up an awful lot to keep that surveillance and that security apparatus going. It's also clear to me that those who truly, for the very best reasons, value the fundamental right of privacy in the EU are willing to give up an awful lot to keep that fundamental uh, principle of, of privacy completely uh, completely whole. There's a massive gap of peop uh, people in the middle, in my view, who probably would be willing to give up a little bit be between the two. Now, I know that's very provocative to, to, to offer that uh, uh, idea uh, it, when you have people who, who have strong feelings. But like, do, do we care? Do we care if a company like Facebook or Google is either is kind of defenestrated a little bit in a regulatory, in, in a functionality way? Do we care? Do we care if Facebook is still in, in the market here? I, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and the first time that, that Facebook said, their, their initial response, we, we, we'll pull out of Europe or, or mm. what, whatever way they framed it. It wasn't as, as, uh, as, as atomic an option as that. But it got me thinking, what, what would happen if Facebook didn't exist in Europe anymore? Mm. Like, what, what would happen? Something would fill that void. Obviously, it would be a real pain. I think the people who would feel the pain most, even more so than consumers who enjoy the convenience of using Facebook to stay up to date with friends and family, probably are marketers and media buyers who suddenly have to rethink how they uh, spend their cash and how they um, account for the, the the targeting options that are there. But, ha haven't, but there we all, don't we, haven't we always secretly hoped that, oh, they'll come back to us 
in the newspapers. Haven't you? Isn't that part of our kind of motivation and animus? Possibly. I do think that, I mean, th th there's a very big discussion around advertising overall. And, and one of the interesting things I think about digital marketing is that it has reduced, because of the, the promise of attribution, it has reduced the art of marketing down to kind of almost like direct mail. I, I give you a, a very direct message that says, you know what, if you, if you want to buy X, Y, or Z, you come to my shop. Mm -hmm. um, and, and good marketing is an awful lot more than that a lot of the and time. All the, but all again, all going, the, going back to the point. Go, go ahead. Go, finish your point. I'll just jump in on there. Now, I was just going to say, like, imagining a world without Facebook. So I kind of leant back into this kind of reverie of imagination. And I was thinking that, I mean, there could be options for a host of innovation here, kind of new online services that serve very particular markets and very particular needs around communities and interaction. Um, obviously, it's probably more likely that people will will migrate en masse to Twitter or TikTok or whatever the, the other global option is, and, and they'll find ways of doing that. But it's very interesting to think about a world without Facebook where at a national or kind of, you know, EU level, um, uh, something springs up that fulfills the same need, but that has kind of user data protection hardwired mm. into its DNA that um, does serve the needs of advertisers to, to target people uh, and does it in maybe a more responsible way. And that does have a take on misinformation that's a bit more robust and won't let Macedonian teenagers spread lies mm. willy-nilly. I mean, and that there are definitely elements of that, that may be coming anyway in terms of uh, misinformation maybe on the online ad thing i think there might be something that comes down the line that but is there not before dara before you come yeah. back in on that is there not an argument and i'm only asking it's not an argument to be to be made that actually when you talk about community involvement and network engagement all that sort of stuff that one fairly major chunk of facebook already does that and, and i'll give you an example um the guy who did the Irish COVID app, Keanu Maudine, uh, he runs the company. I, he uh, helped build the, the Business Post um, uh, app with me back in the day, when, when, way back in the day. He was positing on Twitter the other day that he had left Facebook and it had no effects on him. He was delighted. Fine. I respond and say, that's fine. I rarely use Facebook as a site myself. However, I'm conscious that in doing that, in stepping away from it, Effectively, Facebook is now the only forum or platform for the elderly relatives of mine and maybe some old friends actually kind of keep track of me and what I'm doing. Sure, they could use the phone or texting, but it's not the same. It's not the same type of engagement. And for better or for worse, Facebook as a thing itself, you might say WhatsApp as well, but Facebook has probably become a thing for particularly for older people for older relatives and just whipping it away because we because we don't fancy it anymore um i don't know i i i sometimes wonder whether it's selfish of me to just completely step away from facebook that as much as it makes my life uh, easier i'm actually uh, removing myself from society of people who might want to you know who who might have a valid interest in what in, in me the, you're highlighting a very important customer service issue. This is a point I've been making to a couple of people in relation to the whole Facebook, the whole Facebook thing. Some of the blog posts I've written on the Casper site uh, as well talk about the fact that this is actually not just a regulatory issue; it's a customer service issue. If Facebook, well, no, I, I, I'm talking about. The, I, I'm I'm asking whether Facebook has a real and viable part in society and yeah. in community. 
That's what I'm asking. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to answer that because to get there, I need to go slightly scenic journey through through two other points. Um, so Facebook, this whole issue is a customer service issue. Facebook could have done things five years ago, ten years ago. When Facebook launched in Europe, they could have actually taken this whole data protection thing a little bit more seriously when people were asking them to. I remember Simon McGarr and I writing stuff back in 2009 about mm. the issues that Facebook was going to encounter, this issue being one of them. Um, okay. So the customer service issue say, oh, we're whipping it away from people because, who are now dependent on it. Okay, that's like your corner shop closing down, so like your post office closing down. You, got, you have a customer service issue and a community impact issue. Now we have to ask ourselves why. Well, that's because the monopoly effect. Facebook got big by mm. harvesting data. Facebook developed a at an oligopoly level of power, if not a monopoly level of power in the market, because there was no other show in town. Because anything that looked good that might compete with it, they either steamrolled over it or they bought it. Okay. WhatsApp but is a good I example uh, of something that was a threat to their messenger product, so they bought it. Because when you get oh no, we know we know all that. So so are you just are you saying that? Well, tough. No, because Facebook. Sorry. What I'm saying is that this is a problem that Facebook need to solve for their customers. It's not a question of saying, "Oh, boohoo, there's a problem." Facebook can take their ball and walk away. The fact that big tech companies think they can take their ball and walk away is a very very bad example, or a very very good example of a bad approach to their customers. They don't see their customers as customers because the people. Would you personally be sad to see Facebook leave the market? Personally, no. Yeah. Okay, uh, Steve, would you? Yeah, but we're probably the wrong people. I don't use Facebook anymore. The only last vestiges of any usage I get from Facebook is there's a few services that I used it for a kind of an identity management system when you had to buy a social sign in. in. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm, I'm in the process so it wouldn't of bother you if myself. It, you wouldn't that. bother you if it, if it left the market? Not personally, but I actually take your point. There are a few people who I know that I, I know lots of people kind of keep in touch with in my circle, but I, I'm not part of that anymore. So I feel, I, I actually understand your point quite well about kind of removing yourself from, from digital circulation almost by stepping away from Facebook. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting point. It is an interesting point, but again, it comes back to, it is ultimately a customer service issue. If, if, if any other company said, we have a regulatory problem with providing our service, therefore we're pulling out. And to heck with it. In fact, my, my former employer, if they said that they weren't going to supply a phone line to the Black Valley in Kerry, the Healy mm -hmm. Rays would be all over the news going, they're not providing phone lines up to the Black Valley. Um, as a result... Yeah, no, I, you, you're, you're right. I mean, and from a regulatory point of view, they, they, they have to either ship up or shape out. That's, I think that's the point also that they were making in... The, in the high court, I think that's what this is all about. That's what the ECJ was kind of saying as well. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm just wondering whether or not we would miss it. Um, I personally wouldn't miss the service itself. I wouldn't even really miss WhatsApp. I know a lot of people uh, use WhatsApp, um, but but that's me. I mean, I, that's fine for me. I'm set up in in so many other ways. I'm much more active on services like like Twitter. Here's one for you. Would you think that it would actually be uh, preferable for all the grannies and everything to go on Twitter, then because I I have my doubts about that. 
rather than Facebook. We see we we are all we all like uh, folks like Twitter because it's where we you know we regard it as being a policy making forum and we can discuss issues and all the around we get retweets and likes and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, we we, we I sometimes think we give Twitter an awful buy, a real buy, you know, when it comes to yeah. our own personal feelings about it compared to Facebook. I think Twitter is beloved of the media that the Twitterati are like it's a little bit of a filter bubble and Facebook does so much more than that and in fairness to Facebook it has built a a, a mammoth product it has been absolutely stellarly successful uh, building its own product and buying or um, taking some of the best parts of other people I love Kara Swisher's line that uh, Facebook's product development wing is Snapchat. I mean, effectively, they can either buy people they like or they can just copy their services. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think they have done an amazing job over the last, I mean, over 10 years, I mean, I'm very, I'm always very conscious. I remember very clearly a, an earnings call Facebook did around 2011 where they said, we haven't really figured out mobile yet. Um, and as an organization, it really has pushed the boundaries of what's possible on mobile. It became mobile first quicker than anyone else. I want to ask you, it, it really has. about that Australian thing. Um, it did strike me. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Google and Facebook in Australia and this new Australian law, which would require them to pay publishers when a news story, I think I have that right, do I? That when a news story is shared yeah. or posted. Um, and, and the response to that was, well, we just won't. Allow posting of news stories, well, and everybody I, I, went mad. Everybody in the media, how dare you uh, uh, not 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 allow our stories to be posted? And I, 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 I part of me did kind of think, uh, listen, lads, what do we want here? I mean, you know, we, uh, look, they, they they weren't saying we won't let our stories be posted, and there's a big difference. I mean, Facebook is in a better position in regards to this than Google. So, just to, what happened here was that in I think uh, a, a commission. Um, found that the online giants were basically gobbling up too much ad revenue. Um, and, and we're doing this on the back of content that is coming from legitimate news organizations. So the Australian Consumer um, Commission, I think Competition and Consumer Commission, um, have proposed a mandatory code whereby um, Australian news businesses will be able to negotiate fair payment for their stories. Now, the big difference here is, so they're, they're going after Google very, very much along these, uh, along these tracks. Um, Google puts news stories in search. Google indexes these stories. Mm. And because news entities, uh, like I'm involved in a lot of the SEO work, we, we spend a lot of money making sure Google can index us. Um, it, with Facebook, it's, it's slightly different in that publishers will post directly their stories on Facebook as well as other people sharing them as well. So both Facebook and Google are legitimately saying, we give you traffic, we give you eyeballs, we supply you with visibility and relevance in the market that you're playing in. And they're totally right to say that. Um, where things do get fudgier is that specifically around Google, Google Google's remit is to build trust in some regards, which is in similar to the to a media industry, that if I want to know what runners to buy and I Google it, it'll give me good relevant results. If I want to know um, what the latest breaking news is, Google will give me good results. So Google needs to operate in a broader way in terms of users' interests, and it needs to be able to serve very dedicated like kind of shopping requests and what's happening in the world. It needs to have an eye on both parts. And it probably would undermine Google's trust if, if it only turned into basically a shopping site. Mm. If the search power was only related to um, runners, headphones, whatever you were interested in buying. You know, it funny, I, I was testing, Amazon, uh, I was testing a, a Huawei phone. I might have it here, actually. The, uh, 
I do actually. Sorry, excuse me. It's uh, I don't think it's switched on at the moment. It's this one here, which is the uh, the XS Mate. Which this is one of the whoa. This is one of the ones where you push this button and it Ooh. folds yeah. out into yeah. a big one. Nice. It's a bit like the Galaxy Fold. You know? The, the Microsoft no, Surface Google. Duo from the, the flip phone Microsoft yeah. working on. Uh, except that, except that's two. That is two different screens. This is one screen that folds. Um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, not a completely dissimilar idea. But no Google Play Store. Yeah, no and Google services at all. I have to tell you guys. I mean, I, I wrote a review, and it you know, I it, the review is in two parts. One is is this a magnificent piece of engineering? Absolutely. Could I live with it? No, mm. you know. I mean, yeah, and, and that's what's happening in Australia. Effectively, when news of this code came out, Google started uh, on the search results page for a while. There was a message to Australians written in very colloquial language, kind of lobbying them, saying, "You know, if you let the goddamn government go ahead with this, mm. we're going home. We're taking search. We're taking YouTube, and you won't have it." Mm. And I thought that dynamic was really interesting. That the they are looking at people power. To support them That's here, and it's yeah. interesting that your take on the the, the Huawei phone was, yeah, it, it lacks the services I need to use it as a as a kind of usable. I mean, you can get day -day them. You can get them through. There's a thing, an app you can get called Petal Search. Uh, so mm. if anybody's listening out there who bought a, for example, a P40 or P40 Pro or think one of these phones, no Google Play Store. By the way, you do have the Google Play Store on the P30 Pro, which is so yeah, the old yeah, one. The old one. Still a great phone. Um, mm. But the the new ones, you, you can get like the Microsoft apps. You can get most of the apps, but the Google apps are still dodgy. Dara, did you see that algorithm um, controversy on Twitter with uh, Barack Obama and Mitch McConnell? Yep. <laughs> oh my god! It's more than just those. I mean, there's so many tests now being done on that. The the awful picture of Mark Zuckerberg surfing that's been augmented. They put side by side in the same way, and of course, the algorithm favors the the crazier, wackier one that's going to get a bigger response. Yeah, yeah, it's um, and it's turned into a meme now. You can sort of put two things beside each other. So, any any Dar, any any kind of further thoughts on on any of this? Uh, I like the way you, you usually have a, a pretty thorough legal and regulatory kind of back background to this. Yeah, it's going to be on the Google search, paid search thing again. We have a conflict of business models, effectively, from mm. a commercial perspective. And the, the Australians, bear in mind, the Australians legislated to outlaw encryption last year. So they don't yeah, quite it's a get funny, It's a funny country. It's a funny country, isn't it? Uh, I mean, sorry, Australian listeners, uh, but it Australia, is a funny country. Fantastic, fantastic people. Um, we have yeah. to bear in mind a third of them are... Well, now hold, now hold on. Let, let's let... Now hold on. I'm not disagreeing with you, right? But a country is its people, right? Yeah. So... They're kind of funny. They're, I mean, they're, you know, they're this, like like all of us, you know, strong points and and not so strong points. But it, it, yeah, very. They're out there on some of their legislative. They are ideas, and, and this particular legislative idea around outlawing encryption causes a problem because using standard contractual clauses post Schrems too, uh, so even sending stuff to the US, if you can mm. identify appropriate safeguards, you can find ways of shielding the information from. Uh, FISA, if you can clarify that you're not in the scope of FISA, all those various things mm. you might do from a safeguards perspective. Uh, one of the obvious ones is encrypting data. And again, that's something I've seen from IAPP and a couple of other commentators, ways you can do it, magically encrypt all your data, and there's no problem. Well, you ship your data over to Australia. You can't encrypt it. So given that Australia is part of the Five Eyes and Relays data back, 
uh, to other jurisdictions. Um, mm. There is a question, I would say, that the standard contractual clauses for transfer of data to Australia are probably at a more immediate risk on a broad spectrum than even transfers mm. to the US. Do you, do you know the irony about, you mentioned Five Eyes, and the, what we're talking about now, and data transfers, and I uh, introduced this idea of Orwell 1984 and Ocean and all the rest of it. The more that we hunker down in our into our own ecosystems, it, it, it's possible, maybe arguable, that the more we will end up becoming more defensive, more it's us versus them, and the more we'll end up sort of surveilling others anyway. But the you know, I mean, are you telling me that the French and the British, well, the British are, are on their way out of the EU, so they're not the best example. But say even the French, um, you know, French and Germans, don't French and Germans do it. We do it. Yeah, the French, the German in. Germany last month in the Constitutional Court, they ruled that the foreign intelligence gathering activities of German intelligence agencies needed to be brought into a more transparent light. And they, they it clarified that they fell within the German constitutional law. If you want to see where the constitutional framework and structures of the EU comes from, you look in German constitutional law. Um, mm, yeah. And one of the key things we're, going to, we're seeing developing is that what we're beginning to see is actually a shift. We're seeing the, the Every time the Earth's axis is shifting every couple of every couple of million years, we're seeing the information axis shifting because if you look at the developing countries of Africa, North Africa, and Sub-Saharan Africa, they are developing data protection legislation that is similar to Europe. They are mm. growing economies looking to expand and serve the largest, nearest economic block to them, which is the European Union. Mm. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether uh, if we're all becoming a little bit, we're, we have the best model and you guys need to book up and get with our with our system, um, whether we're not all going to end up in five, 10 years time. And, and Trump is part of that and, Xi, uh, and, and um, China is part of that and Australia is part of that and Putin and Russia is part of that. But I mean, we're... Might be might be part of it now as well. Well, we are part term. of it, and what we do have we have an international convention for cross border cross border data transfers and protection of personal data. We've had it since the eighties. It's been updated mm. recently to align with GDPR principles. That's a convention one away from the Council of Europe. It's actually it's a great point. I mean, people miss that all the time. That actually, really, what a lot of the court cases have been doing over the last couple of years is really just enforcing or clarifying, you know, existing law. Yeah. Uh, and the Council of Europe is also now proposing a global surveillance convention as well to clarify what the, to an extent, take what, what would have been historically called, treated as gentlemen's agreements between countries that mm. if, you're, if you're going to spy on your neighbor, pass the salt before you do that. Do you think, uh, Trump, think Trump would abide by that? Well, this is the issue. For countries. I, I, by my job, I'm not sure Biden would either. <laughs> I don't think the Americans will, one way or the other. Well, therein lies the difficulty. But, yeah. and that's where the axis is shifting. As we start to converge upon some more, some common standards and frameworks, and as we see an overlapping mm. of different cultural norms, you look at Asian uh, views on data privacy and security, you look at African views on data privacy and security, you look at European views, trade mm. is a very, the trade in data and the, and the, serv and, and the services businesses that rely on data, um, that is requiring countries to start to look at how they overlap. And mm. they're looking going, well, We've seen what's hap what happens if you ignore these problems. So we're right. starting to build some structures around it now. Okay, Steve, what's your Twitter handle? I, uh, uh, Dara here has his Twitter handle conveniently in the top right of his screen. What's yours? He, he's so wise. At Steve-L. S-T-E-E-V-I-L. S-T-E-E-V-I-L. Steve-L. Okay. 
maybe two L's. Well, I, I'm a, um, a victim of that time when Twitter was something that you didn't know if, if you needed your real name on it. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, if you were starting that now, it would be like Steve 994666432. Something along those lines. That's yeah. a different conversation. John, yeah, actually, a, a, a last point on this, and I don't know if Gavin's still rolling, but I think one of the interesting things, data protection is one side of this, and uh, there are others as well. And for me, the biggie is... Uh, Section 230 of the Communications and Decency Act in the US. Mm. And an interesting, Donald Trump was taking aim at that when when Twitter and others were flagging his content as potentially uh, problematic. Uh, and I think that would be a big game changer if, if that were to, um, to come onto the legislative agenda in the US after the election, uh, whoever makes it into the White House. Isn't it um, funny that, that we... An awful lot of the context of our discussion today has been, you know, big tech uh, companies being kind of liberal capitalist entities that we're trying to bring into the common good. In the States, the other way, it's completely the opposite. They're, they're the Trump and the Republicans regard them as, you know, lefty, progressive, socialist, commie, uh, commie entities. Um, it's... I don't think the irony is not lost. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the big picture stuff is that these big tech companies are global, and legislation is mm. isn't. Uh, and and uh, as Dara alluded to, common standards are required, and, and we're we're edging our way towards that. But it, God damn it, it's taking time. Well, I'm glad you're you're optimistic about that, and I'll I presume that you will be as well. I think Dara from uh, yeah. from from yeah yeah. I think yeah. yeah. the one thing we need to bear in mind is that. You mentioned earlier about advertising business and purchasing managers. The, the, the groups that I actually feel most concerned for are the small businesses who, instead of spending a few quid to get their own website, mm. put their shop front on Facebook. Uh, because it's cheaper. It's cheaper. Uh, but that means there's, they, they, they rented space in a strip mall that was, turns out was built entirely of asbestos, was built in an <laughs> graveyard. <laughs> yeah, and the person who owns the strip mall doesn't care if they live or die. I think that's a really good point. And, and, and you've just reminded me, of, do you remember the great Zinga Farmville <laughs> problem that suddenly Farmville was growing massively and was actually making money hand over fist? And one day they turned up to the office and it, it wasn't there anymore. Facebook pulled the plug and effectively their business model was gone. And um, so I think that's a huge, that's a really important point there. There are local businesses, small businesses, and we know how many SMEs there are in Ireland um, that just actually their lifeblood comes through Facebook. Mm. And that's far more pressing, I think, than than your point about kind of, you know, maybe the, the grey brigade might miss seeing their grandson's Mm. Um, on Facebook, but uh, some local businesses w will miss the the revenue and their yeah. lifeblood if, if Facebook goes. Well, I'm I'm. We'll keep reporting on this. I'm a little bit more pessimistic than the two of you on this. I th I think I did signs from people I've spoken to. It looks like we're heading into trenches on this uh, globally. And um, but you know, let let's see what happens. As I said, I think there is going to be a fudge. But um, Dara Bryan, founder of Castlebridge, and Steve Dempsey, Group Director of Publishing Products at Independent News and Media. Thank you both very much for joining us today on the podcast. And that is all we have time for today. So from me, Adrian Macker, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunny Independent. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.